Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It's time for Lombardi Memories, a show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and today we have Super Bowl VIII between the defending Super Bowl's champion Miami Dolphins out of the AFC going up against the NFC champions, the Minnesota Vikings. This game was held on January 13, 1974 at Rice Stadium in Houston, Texas. Yes, Little Rice. Little Rice Owls. Uh... They are the first Super Bowl to be held at a site that is not home to anyone in the NFL. Um, Rice still plays there today. Um, Rice was part of the Southwest Conference for the longest time. And uh, now they're in Conference USA. Um, But, yeah, Rice is actually a pretty small school compared to most other uh Vism 1 schools. Um, so, as always, we have a pop quiz and then some homework at the end of the episode. Uh, I'm a little light on the homework this week, but I do have a good pop quiz question for you. It's this. What passing record did the Miami Dolphins set in Super Bowl Eight? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The Dolphins won their first game of 1973, 21-13 over the 49ers to give themselves an NFL record-long 18-game winning streak. They lost the next week against Oakland, only to start up another winning streak. They won their next 10 games in a row, making it 28 wins out of their last 29 games. They finished the regular season at 12-2 and and as AFC East champions. In the playoffs, they had no trouble with Cincinnati or Oakland. The Bengals were in the playoffs for only the second time, and the Dolphins wiped them out in a 34-16 game. 
Then the Dolphins hosted the Raiders in the AFC Championship game. And this one wasn't even a contest. Miami won this game 27-10. And they were headed back to the Super Bowl to try to become only the second team to repeat. And it was their third straight appearance in the Super Bowl. A new record. Quarterback Bob Greasy threw for 1,422 yards and 17 touchdowns in 1973, while only throwing eight interceptions. Running back Larry Sanka cracked the 1,000-yard mark and rushed for five touchdowns. Receiver Paul Warfield was the team's deep threat, catching 29 balls for 514 yards and 11 touchdowns. The no-name defense of the Dolphins was one to be feared. Defensive back Dick Anderson picked off eight passes and returned two of them for touchdowns. As for the Vikings, they started this season by winning their first nine games. Their defense gave up 20 or more points only three times the whole season. The Vikings won the NFC Central Division title with a 12-2 record. They then knocked off Washington by a 27-20 score in the divisional round before going to Texas and defeating the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC Championship game 27-10. The Vikings were led by quarterback Fran Tarkenton. He threw for 2,113 yards and 15 touchdowns as opposed to just 7 picks. His passer rating was a stellar 93.2. Running back Chuck Foreman rushed for over 800 yards and 4 touchdowns. Oscar Reed had another 400 yards. And Ed Marinero added another 300. When it came to pass catching, receiver John Gilliam led the way with 42 catches for over 900 yards and 8 touchdowns. Foreman also caught 37 balls for 362 yards and another two touchdowns. And you can't forget about the purple people eaters on defense. Tackles Alan Page and Gary Larson and ends Carl Eller and Jim Marshall were as scary a front four as any in NFL history. The Dolphins and the Vikings were headed to Super Bowl VIII in Houston at Rice Stadium. Singer Charlie Pride sang America the Beautiful and the National Anthem to begin the day, and Pride just died recently due to this awful virus that is our true enemy right now. Please get vaccinated if you can. It is the only way to fight back against this horrible virus. Just wanted to throw that in there. Because uh, Charlie Pride, uh, very sad that his life came to an end recently because of this awful coronavirus. Now, for the game itself, the Dolphins won the toss and they got the receipt. They had an absolutely perfect opening drive. Jake Scott returned the opening kickoff to his 38. Running back Mercury Morris started the game with a four-yard run. Running back Larry Sanka took his first of many carry during this game for two yards. Then quarterback Bob Greasy fired to tight end Jim Mandich for a first down at the Minnesota 38. 
Saka powered ahead for a first down inside the 30, then Greasy threw to receiver Marlon Briscoe to the 21. Saka rumbled for a first down and a gain of 8 after Morris ran it to the 5, then Saka blasted in for a touchdown, and the Dolphins led 7-0 after a perfect opening drive. The Vikings, meanwhile, had an absolutely imperfect starting drive. Running back Chuck Foreman ran it twice and caught a pass, but managed only 9 yards. So the Vikings were forced to punt, punter Mike Eyeside kicked it away, and Scott fumbled it as he returned it, but he was lucky. Miami recovered the loose ball. Morris started a new drive with a 5-yard run. Then Greasy found Mandich for a first down past the Minnesota 45. Morris ran down to the 39, then Sonka ripped off an 8-yard run for a first down. Sonka took a draw two plays later and came close to a first down, and then he got it on an 8-yard run. Greasy then found Briscoe down at the 1-yard line for another first down, and it took Jim Kick, the running back, a couple of carries to get it into the end zone, but he did it, and Miami led 14-0 at the end of one quarter. Minnesota quarterback Fran Tarkington managed a pass for a first down to tight end Doug Kingsrider, but after that, the Vikings were forced to punt again. The Vikings finally stopped the Dolphins because of Page, Alan Page, uh, sacking Bob Greasy for a lot loss of 11 yards. But then Minnesota's next drive was also a three and out when linebacker, Miami linebacker Bob Matheson and defensive tackle Manny Fernandez both combined and got a sack of Tarkington. Then it looked like the Vikings had a first down because Tarkington threw to Kings Rider on the right sideline and it looked like he caught it, but the officials ruled him out of bounds. So they had a punt. Eyesight punted again, and it went down to the 34-yard line. So the Vikings, they got called for a personal foul on defense to start the next drive on a short sock-out run. Greasy then found receiver Paul Warfield for his first catch of the game, a six-yarder. That's when Morris... Mercury Morris ran over the umpire on his way to a first down at the Minnesota 30-yard line. Sonka got nine yards on his next three plays, but he couldn't get that 10th yard, so the kicker had to come in. Gerald Yepremian, this time no gap, just a 23-yard field goal, and it moved Miami into a 17-0 lead. His next drive proved crucial for Minnesota's chances. Tarkenton threw the tight end Stu Voigt. I can't pronounce his name. I'm sorry. Stu Voigt? Yeah, I can't get that. But Stu Voigt caught it for a first down at the 39. And then Tarkenton went back to Voigt on the next third down. And Voigt caught it for a first down at the Miami 46. Tarkenton then found Gilliam open at the 15, and the Minnesota Vikings called timeout, first down, 146 remaining in the first half. Tarkenton then scrambled it himself, and he got down to the 7. 
But soon the Vikings faced fourth and one, and head coach Bud Grant said, go for it. So Oscar Reed took the carry, and he tried to get it. It looked like he was stopped short, but it didn't even matter because he fumbled the ball because linebacker Nick Buonacani hit him. <laughs> I can't pronounce his name either. I can't even spell it. Uh, Buonacani knocked the ball out, and Jake Scott recovered it for Miami, and the Dolphins went to the half with a 17-0 lead. By the way, um, I haven't been mentioning the halftime shows just because uh, back then the halftime shows were usually just marching bands. And uh, that was the same thing here. The Texas Longhorns band did the halftime show at this Super Bowl. Back when the halftime shows were rather king, you know, it, 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 was, it was just pretty much what you'd see at a college football game, you know, the band performing. The Dolphins forced the three and out of Minnesota to start the second half, so things were still going Miami's way. Uh, Scott returned eyesight's punt to the Minnesota 43. Sanka ran for several yards, then Greasy found Warfield down the left sideline for a first down at the 11th. Sanka blasted for four more yards. Then the Vikings got called for holding on a third down play. Two plays later, Sanka blasted in from the two-yard line, and Miami now had an insurmountable 24-0 lead. Play-by-play -play announcer Ray Scott asked color analyst Pat Summerall and Bart Starr if even the Dolphins thought that they'd dominate the Super Bowl this way. The two of them answered in unison, no. And it was pretty funny to listen to them. They said the exact same thing at the exact same time. Uh, and um, because they couldn't even believe that Miami was dominating this way. And not even head coach Don Sula could imagine that his team would be in this much command. I mean, the Dolphins were just owning the Vikings. And the Minnesota Vikings punted on their next possession. And Miami ran off more clock before the end of the third quarter. The Vikes finally got on the board early in the fourth quarter. Tarkenton threw to Foreman to get past midfield. Then he found Voigt, who made a great catch of the 39-yard line. Gilliam caught one for nine more yards, and Reed ripped off a run down to the 13-yard line. Receiver Jim Lash caught one down at the four, then Tarkenton ran it in for a touchdown to break the shutout and make it 24-7. Minnesota then re seemingly recovered the onside kick, and for a brief second it looked like we might actually have a game here. However, the Vikings were offside on the kick, so they had to do it again. This time they just squibbed it downfield to the 33-yard line. So the Dolphins then went three and out, so Minnesota had a chance. And uh, Tarkenton got the Vikings down to the Miami 32 on a pass to Marinero. But then he threw an interception to defensive back Curtis Johnson. The Dolphins would hold on to win this one 24-7, but not before Sanka set Super Bowl records for most rushing attempts, 33, and most rushing yards, 145.
the Dolphins also set another Super Bowl record in this game. The fewest pass attempts by a team in Super Bowl history. They threw only seven passes, six of which were complete. One more completion and they could have been the only team to have a perfect game passing. As it was, they broke that record, which is the answer to today's pop quiz. Seven pass attempts by a team in an entire Super Bowl game. Can you believe it? Now, who was the most valuable player on the losing team in this game? The Vikings. I have to give it to Alan Page. He blew up several Dolphin plays in the backfield. He was definitely a force, even when the rest of his team was not. Uh, he deserved better from his teammates, but he played a great game for the Vikings, and that's why I think he's the most valuable player in the losing team. The second most valuable player, who would that be? Well, since Larry Sanka won the MVP award, obviously, the second award would have to go to Bonacani. He forced that crucial fumble at the end of the first half, and his defense dominated play for much of the afternoon. He deserves full credit for a great performance on this day. The least valuable player of this game is a tough word to, tough award to give out. Um, you know, Minnesota's bad at performance was a team effort. No one really, there wasn't one player who really like stuck out as the worst player. So uh, it's very hard to do this one, but I'm going to have to give it to Fran Tarkington. If you're a Hall of Fame quarterback, you really need to go get more than seven, seven points in a game. Tarkington just didn't have his magic on this day, and the Vikings suffered as a result. Best player in this game that you've never heard of? That would be Vikings running back Ed Marinero. He made several big plays in a losing effort, yet when I heard his name, I thought it was marinara, like meatball marinara sauce. As it turns out, he put up a good performance for the Vikes, even when his team couldn't get much accomplished on this day. The biggest play of the game had to be Reed's fumble on 4th and 1 at the end of the first half. If he gets that first down, then the Vikings likely get a touchdown and go to the half down only 17-7, and they have a lot of hope going into the second half. Instead, they didn't get it, and they went to the half down 17. The biggest play no one remembers, though, is Jake Scott's fumble punt early in the first quarter. If Minnesota falls in that ball, then it changes the entire complexion of the game. As it was, Miami got lucky and was able to recover that fumble. Who knows what may have happened had Minnesota gotten that football. Finally, here's some homework for you, and not much this week, so I'm going a little light on you. Go out and get this book, though. It's called Sula, the Coach of the NFL's Greatest Generation by Mark Rybowski. If there's any one member of the Miami Dolphins team to look back on, it's Sula himself. What a great man and great coach he was. This book covers his entire career. That is all I have for today. In two weeks, we begin the greatest dynasty in the Super Bowl era, the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers. 
the Vikings make it back to a second straight Super Bowl, only to run into one of the greatest teams of all time, the 1974 Steelers. Until then, this is Tommy A. Phillips. So long. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.